when we're solving climate change, we need to lift up working people. And that needs to be not a tangential thing. Oh, yeah, let's talk to those people, those working people, too, to make sure, uh, give them a just transition or something. Not that. Actually bring people in, working people in to help solve the problem, all working together. Welcome to Maine Environment Frontline Voices, a podcast from the Natural Resources Council of Maine. This episode features my conversation with Mike Williams of the Blue-Green Alliance. Mike is part of the Maine Climate Council's Transportation Working Group, and you'll hear his take on how the Climate Council can support and uplift working people in Maine. Here's the episode. I'm Mike Williams. I'm the Deputy Director at the Blue-Green Alliance. We are a national partnership of labor unions and environmental organizations. We were founded by the United Steelworkers and the Sierra Club, but we have 13 national slash international organizations that are partners. So unions spanning from construction to public sector to manufacturing and six of the biggest environmental organizations in our country. My work is national, but I live in Maine. I'm a Mainer and I was appointed to the Transportation Working Group at the request of the Maine AFL-CIO. And so I've been serving on that working group since it began last fall. Thank you for that. I understand that Blue Green Alliance believes that obviously the threat of climate change is, is real, but it also can present opportunities when we're thinking about the transition to a clean energy economy and some of the jobs that might come about from that. Could you tell me a bit more about what you see as some of the opportunities of this transition? You know, I appreciate the positive framing around it, but I would say that this is, it's not all positive. We see this effort as dealing with two inextricably linked crises. So the crises of climate change and the crises of economic inequality. So we think that we cannot solve either if we don't try to solve them both. And that's why we stand so strongly behind the idea that when we're trying to solve climate change, we have to do it in a way that lifts up all working people. And so to your question about opportunities, we also absolutely believe that we can do this well. This doesn't have to be some sort of negative choice, some sort of Economic wasteland or ecological wasteland, that is a false choice. It is a false choice for folks who put it to us that we either have good jobs or a clean environment. That is not the case. And so that's been our way of operating. Jobs in the clean economy are good. They're here now. It's just a matter of maximizing that, expanding upon that. There's not enough of them, so we need more. And there's not enough good ones, and so we need to make them better. So whether it's ensuring that the goods that go into a clean energy economy are manufactured here at home by people who have collective bargaining rights uh, and people who have health and safety standards and enforcement that ensures that when they're on the job that they're taken care of, you know, there's the need to, you know, when we're talking about actually building and maintaining clean energy, uh, whether it's uh, energy efficiency, big solar projects, offshore wind, so on and so forth, that again, those people have collective bargaining rights, project labor agreements, so that they make a good wage, they have benefits, and that's all possible. I'd love to hear if there are particular examples or models of programs that you think, or that you've seen working in other places that you think might be a really good fit for Maine. There's great examples. The Block Island Offshore Wind Project, uh, the, just the demonstration project, created 300 jobs. Nearly all of them were union jobs. So all of those people got to work on an incredible clean energy project, and they brought home a family-sustaining wage 
healthcare benefits, that is a reality. So energy efficiency, for example, in California, there's a standard to make sure that the people doing HVAC installations are skilled and trained. It seems pretty, pretty basic, right? But it's, it's something we haven't seen enough of. So we could do that here in Maine. Efficiency Maine is a great program. Why not add more funding to that to make sure that we're expanding that even more? And then while doing that, why not add on workforce standards so that there's licensing for ensuring that the mechanical installations are done well? making sure that all the people have gone through registered apprenticeship programs so that when we're getting efficiency upgrades in our homes, in our businesses, at manufacturing facilities, the job's done well and the people doing the jobs are treated well. As the Climate Council is in sort of the planning phase of developing its climate action plan, what are some of the things that you hope that the Climate Council will consider or prioritize right now so that we can position ourselves well moving forward to achieve some of the goals that you're talking about? Maybe I'm being biased here, but the Transportation Working Group, it's where I spent a lot of my time and thought the last couple months. It's incumbent upon the Climate Council to put transportation at the forefront of their decision making because that's where the majority of our emissions are. So if we want Maine to be a leader in fighting climate change, as well as high quality job creation, major changes in our transportation infrastructure are needed. The recommendations just came from the Working Group to the Climate Council. Massive expansion in electric vehicle infrastructure, big focus on public transit, both the infrastructure as well as the services. A look at, and a really strong look, and I made a big argument in support of this, of how we fund transportation infrastructure needs. It is woefully underfunded in our state. To give an example of how little funding we put towards public transportation in the state of Maine. The state of Vermont, just as rural as we are, spends roughly $12 per person on public transportation ever been to Vermont, going to Montpelier, you can see there's all these little bus routes going everywhere. You can get to all these small towns or counties around the state from public transportation. It opens up so many opportunities for working people, especially working class people, to get where they need to go and not have to rely on a car. It is your lived experience. How are you getting from place A to place B? Where you decide to live? If you want to live where you want to live, go where you want to go, work where you want to work. These things require high quality transportation infrastructure and that has core to that has to be public transportation. We spend in comparison to the $12 in Vermont, something like 68 cents per person. So it's more than 12 times what they spend in Vermont. It is ridiculously underinvested. Our transportation infrastructure is falling apart. It's the driving force of our emissions. So the Climate Council, if it is a serious body, and I believe it is, will put a lot of time and effort into figuring out how to drive down emissions from the transportation sector. And the working group gave some really good recommendations, which I hope they will follow and build on. If the state did sort of rethink the way that it does transit, you know, the shift to EVs, expanding public transit, what would that mean in terms of jobs for for Maine people? It depends on how they do it, of course. Details matter. But at a 30,000-foot level, it would mean a great deal. It would mean a lot of job creation in this state, point blank, period. Uh, Job creation in construction, job creation in public services and the public sector, and folks who are operating and maintaining these buses and trains, uh, the people who are building the infrastructure that we need to do all of this. So those are the core items. We also could expand upon that by ensuring that We have good procurement laws so that we're procuring the materials that go into this, all this transportation infrastructure. We procure it locally 
procured at least domestically in the country uh, so that we can build up America's manufacturing base. Maine has a storied manufacturing history. It's something that we should look to use our procurement laws and our investments, especially investments in clean energy, to try to continue to build that out. We want to keep those going. We need to have project labor agreements on this. They need to make sure at the very least to abide by prevailing wage laws so that the people working there uh, are paid well and are Mainers. I mean, if we're going to spend all this money, we don't want to hire contractors that are bringing people in from North Dakota, things like that. That would be a bad thing. That would be a ridiculous waste of Maine's taxpayer money when we should be maximizing this in every way we can. Are there any other exciting possibilities that you see or exciting conversations that you've been part of in the Climate Council for other programs that you think show a lot of promise for Maine? Offshore wind is one. So Maine has significant potential for offshore wind production. We have a a very windy coast and a lot of sea land out there that could provide a lot of electricity. And that's 100% renewable electricity. Those are large infrastructure projects. They would be very productive in terms of job creation alongside of productive in electricity production. So that is a very good possibility for our state is to figure out how we can invest and build out a strong offshore wind industry. We need to make sure that we do it well though. Part of Maine's heritage is our fishing heritage. And so the lobster fisheries and the other fisheries out there, we need to make sure that those people are not only part of the conversation, but are bought in. We can build these large gigawatt sized projects out way 25 miles out and make sure that the lobster fishing right of ways and such are not touched and we should make sure we do that additionally those are big infrastructure projects again i'm going to be a broken record they should be done using project labor agreements they should be done using domestic sourcing again we should make sure that when we're doing big projects and spending taxpayer money that we're supporting main workers creating high quality jobs and supporting domestic manufacturing Given the pandemic and the need to rebuild the economy moving forward, you know, how do you see clean jobs, green jobs as part of this rebuilding process? That last part, I I often get a little crusty about this notion of clean jobs, green jobs versus other jobs. People building or retrofitting a building or building offshore wind, that is a job. (laughs) And hopefully it's a good job. People putting in a gas pipeline, that's a job. Uh, And they tend to be, especially if it's unionized, good jobs. And so I don't like the pitting against each other. The person in the steel mill in Cleveland is like, oh, I guess my job is dirty. But then you go in there and you say, well, you're making steel that goes into a Chevy Bolt. Is your job clean? Yeah, I would say yes. You're, you're part of an economy that's supporting what our future needs to be. And so it's, it's that where it gets, I think, too murky. And so... I don't like the delineation or the separating of what jobs are clean and not. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think that the terms that we use really do matter. We want to talk about what the priorities are for our state and how we want to invest. That's where we can talk about, you know, we need to make sure that we need to reduce emissions and push for clean energy and push for things that support our local environment and our national and global environment. Those are all critical. In terms of how the job creation from these investments would support dealing with COVID-19 because we're still smack dab in the middle of it. And then the eventual rebuild and response to it. You know, one thing that I haven't mentioned yet is the public sector and public services. So Maine needs to think about how our public sector is set up currently 
and how it needs to be built out. And I say built out because it needs to be built out everywhere. And Maine is not different. If we are going to dig out from this pandemic and then also deal with the climate crisis and then also deal with probably an economic recession, potentially even a depression, we need a strong public sector and we need strong public services. We can't shy away. We cannot use that terrible A word of austerity. There is not a time to do that. And so that is critical. We actually will fail on meeting our climate goals if we don't have a strong public sector and public services. If we don't have strong teachers, <laughs> healthcare providers, people who drive buses, fire departments, so on and so forth, we will not succeed. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you'd like to add? Yes, we are in the middle of a reckoning or an awakening in this country, specifically with our country's racism and all of our racism. And it's one thing to stand up and say the right words, but it's a whole other thing to take action. And so there's a huge effort right now on criminal justice, and that's absolutely correct. And I don't want to take anything away from that. But there's racism that goes through all parts of policy and all parts of programmatic work. And those of us in the climate movement and in the labor movement bear that burden too. And so as we're pushing for climate policies, as we're pushing for environmental policies, as we're pushing for labor and workforce policies, we need to grapple with the fact that previous policies and current policies are more than likely racist. And we need to rectify that. And so we are grappling with that at Blue Green. I think we need to grapple with that in Maine. The Climate Council should put that front and center, that when they're putting forward policies to address climate change, address economic inequality, there should also be core element. It should be fundamental to deal with racial justice, to ensure that we are lifting up communities of color, supporting them, and making sure that things are just and equitable going forward. Thank you so much to Mike Williams of the Blue Green Alliance. You can learn more about his work at bluegreenalliance.org. And, of course, thank you for listening to Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time.